0: This morning, I'm going to uh, spend some time talking about the cross. Now, I realize that the cross is not the main symbol of Sunday morning, but we're going to get a total picture of what went on over these past few days. And the cross, most of you know that the cross is a internationally recognized symbol. It's a symbol of hope for some. It's a symbol for different companies. You think of the Red Cross, um, you think of different uh, other public service people like uh, firefighters the cross is used in many many ways and for Christians a lot of times we think of the cross in the certain dimensions that it has with the the cross post a little bit further down from the top but I want to talk about the cross and its significance and what it has to do with the resurrection and actually what it has to do with the forgiveness of sin as I was studying for this morning uh, one thing that came to mind as I was studying is that there were east and west forms of execution. And I realize we have kids in here, and I, there's, I'm not going to go too graphic, but it was recognized as one of the worst um, ways of execution. Uh, it was the, in a lot of um, societies, it was set aside for the worst of criminals. It was set aside even for aliens um, into the country It was barred from use from citizens of the country because it was considered so gruesome. But we see that that was the death that our Jesus paid. Now there's the the pagan mode. And literally the word cross in Greek referred to a pointed stake uh, used for various purposes. Uh, There were times where even the stake was just used to impale someone. And it was very gruesome. It was banned for a long period of time, but came back um, about 300 B.C. Uh, but it was universally recognized as the worst form of death. That's what I want to get the idea across. There's also a Jewish mode. So we have pagan mode, Jewish mode. Um, and the Jewish mode uh, is, is seen in the Old Testament, and we see it um, even for King Saul um, in different ways he would use it. Um, the Persian king Darius, but I wanted to uh, point out one thing in particular about the Jewish mode, because what we see in Jesus' death is that as he was in his final hours on earth, he was experiencing, experiencing both types of, of execution, one that was pagan, one that was Jewish. Uh, for instance, the pagan way uh, or the Western way was that the person would be beaten beforehand. They would be beaten, usually close uh, to the the site that this was going to happen. After they were beaten, they would then be forced to carry the cross to that location. And you can can probably already picture that those things were happening to Jesus as described in the scriptures. And then uh, one thing in particular is that for the Jewish mode, the body had to be removed before nightfall. So that the... The idea that came to my mind is, one, there was two different ways, one pagan, one Jewish. Jesus Jesus experienced different parts of each one. And I have to think that there's there's some truth to that, that God took the punishment for all of us, Jews and non-Jews alike. And he took the punishment that was required under each law. So I want to take a few minutes and just look at the difference in vantage points in the Gospels. You may hear an argument that says that because the gospels record different emphasis or maybe one gospel leaves something out that maybe Luke said something that John didn't or uh, Mark said something that Matthew did not What I want you to know is that even though there are differences in this event and there's actually a couple other events um, in Jesus's life is that they do not contradict each other. What, what the difference is, and you can understand this, if you think, uh, if a big event happens today, if you read different newspapers, you'll probably see that there are certain points that that author emphasizes that maybe another one doesn't. So as we look at these four different um, books, you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Synoptic Gospels, each one of them focuses on different parts of the event. Matthew in particular, Uh, Actually, Matthew and Mark are probably the closest um, to each other. But Matthew emphasizes that Jesus voluntarily died, fully conscious and in self-control. Actually, I'm going to read out of Matthew 27. And uh, we're looking at verse 34. Actually, I'll start at 33. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they gave him wine mixed with gold, a drink. And when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. What that drink was, was his, it was actually wine mixed with a type of painkiller. Uh, it was almost a way for them to experience a little less pain in this very gruesome execution. When Jesus tasted it, he could tell that there was something in it. Um, and his mode of, of dying was one that did not, uh, he did not take anything to lessen the pain at all. So we see that he voluntarily died. And then also it says he yielded up his spirit um, to death in in verse 50. So Matthew is emphasizing that Jesus died fully conscious and in self-control. Mark emphasizes the horror of the scene. And this is where if you watch a movie like um, The Passion of the Christ, that horror comes out vividly. You see it with, obviously, the... the, uh, the blood and, and all the violent acts that were happening at that time. And and Mark focuses on that part of it. And he actually focuses in Mark 15 uh, the contrast between what the crowd was saying and what Jesus was saying. The crowd was saying, save yourself. And it was they were mocking Jesus. They were saying, save yourself, because he told them that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it. And then in the second half, we see Mark's description stressed on the horror even more, and it progresses from a dark to the darkness and the cry of abandonment um, of Jesus. And then we look at Luke's gospel, and he emphasizes that uh, Jesus' righteousness and the atmosphere of reverence and worship. I'll be honest with you Matthew and Mark is easier for me to understand. It's easier for me to understand how painful and horrifying it is for someone to die and, and publicly be executed. Luke and John is a little bit more difficult for me to, to understand and, and part of it's quite confusing for me. But I think if we look at it from a holistic view of Scripture, honestly, it, it, it was something I learned new this week as I was preparing this message. But if we look at Luke, he has two major things he wants to look at. And first is that Jesus is portrayed as a perfect example of righteous martyr who forgives his enemies and by his attitude converts some of his opponents. Uh, actually, the, the taunts of the, the rulers and, and the soldiers, uh, they were beating their, be- their breast as they walked away. And you can see that in contrast with Jesus willingly giving up his life. Actually, there was someone, uh, the centurion, who says, Certainly this man was innocent. And then later on in Luke, we start to see more of the reverence uh, and worship here. We see that Jesus prayed that God would forgive his executioners. And that's placed in contrast again with their mockery of him. And he's saying, "Please, Father, please forgive them. And then there's a promise in, in the prayer for the believing criminal. Um, and actually the commitment of Jesus, of his spirit to the Father. Luke was very still compared to Matthew and Mark. In his reverence for what the the worshipful experience that was going on as Jesus gave up his life. And then in John is the one that I think I learned the most about this week. Most of you know that in the Old Testament before Jesus, there were sacrifices. And we, we understand that as we even we do communion regularly that, you know, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But I don't think I quite understood all of these similarities and the way Jesus um, died on the cross, and the sacrifice. And, and John points out some of those specifics, and he emphasizes the calmness in witnessing Jesus perform that priestly function for the sacrifice. You know, the priests were the ones that would um, basically, they would perform this whole thing in, in, in the temple, Jesus was the one to perform this sacrifice. And he, as the priest himself, became the sacrifice. And I don't know if I quite looked at it that way before, but I want to give you a few details in here that, that really struck me. The, John is the only one who states that the inscription on the cross was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So just like I said in the beginning with the forms of execution, the Eastern way, the Uh, Western way and the pagan Jewish and how Jesus suffered in different parts of each as if he was dying for everyone I think this further emphasizes that for the rest of time no matter what society culture you come from Jesus died for every single person and I think that is emphasized through John and his details about the different languages And then also the king is pictured, um, the king Jesus is pictured as performing this function. John mentions the hyssop, which had been used to sprinkle blood of the lamb at the Passover. It's an instrument that was used for a long time before Jesus to perform the sacrifice. And John points out that it was still present even when Jesus was was performing um, this sacrifice. And then also uh, Jesus' cry, it is finished. And then the piercing of his side, which shows the reality of his death. And it may also be symbolic of the rivers of living water as the outpouring of salvation to the new age. When we take of the cup later on, that's partly what what it's uh, referring to, is that Jesus spilt his blood. And from then to eternity, to whenever he returns, it is salvation for everyone. And then our, our final uh, slide as we focus on the cross are a few terms um, that are expressed in the New Testament and has to do with salvation. And they are redemption and propitiation. Those two words are used with the term for us. So who's redeemed? We are. And what we also see is that justification it was that Jesus dying on the cross paid the price for humanity, all of us to be freed from sin. And we are now justified because of his crucifixion. And the result of that is reconciliation. And we are now reconciled to God. And that division between us and God that sin created at the garden can now be Bridged. Jesus is that one that reconciles the relationship between us and God, and that is the result, and that is the hope that we have every Easter and every day through the week. Doesn't matter what day, we can always celebrate the death on the cross and that the fact that it provides salvation for us. And then a final uh, thought here is that as I was preparing this message, and and actually, uh, probably a lot of you parents, maybe took some time this week to read the stories to your kids or maybe you let them watch something. One thing that Reagan right now is, her mind is just wondering, what is, what is death? And I remember this morning I said, up from the grave he arose. And she said, from death. And I thought, yes. But what I, what I emphasized to her is that as we're reading through her story Bible and there's a picture of Jesus on the cross, and I was trying to tell her and explain to her, you know, that he stayed on the cross. They didn't keep him there. The nails didn't keep him there. He had the power to call down every angel and he could just get off the cross if he wanted to. And uh, she's, why didn't he? You know, <laughs> that's a, a reasonable question. And I had to explain to her, it was his love for us that held him there. His love for us that kept him there and, and finished the act that had to be done in order for us to be freed from sin. And that is a reason for us to celebrate this morning, the cross that Jesus paid a debt that we could not pay. And it is something we can celebrate every single day,
1: including Easter. Hey, everybody and so we're looking at this idea of the cross and the tomb and pastor james talked about how in the cross jesus did what we couldn't do for ourselves right you can't justify yourself there's nothing you can do that will perfectly pay the price for your sins you can't justify the world there's not a single person in this room or on this planet who could justify and redeem the entirety of humanity. In the cross, we see Jesus, we see God doing for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves. But the story doesn't stop there. Because if it stops there, we have a big problem. And if it stops there, there's a major issue. And this is an issue the apostles were facing because they understood the concept of sacrifice. They understood death but they were missing the next part. And we know in conversations with Jesus leading up to us that they were missing the next part. And even that morning, that that Sunday morning, the women are going to the tomb to anoint Christ's body and prepare it for burial better. Because in their minds, He is still in the tomb. In their minds, He is still dead. They are facing life with this idea of death has won. Jesus is dead, what are we going to do about it? We need to prepare now for this next step. And there's a fascinating question the women ask themselves. As they're heading to the garden grave on that Sunday morning, the women in Mark's account, he records that they're thinking through the logistics of death. And they're knowing that Jesus is, in, is encased in this tomb with a massive rock rolled in front of it that took a group of people to move, and it's been sealed in their soldiers, and they ask themselves, "Who will roll away the stone for us?" Because they're limited by death, and they're limited by what goes along with death. And this is the same thing that Paul, writing in his letters to the Roman, the Roman Church. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And they're asking this question of, what are we to do in the face of death? What do we in our own power have the ability to do when confronted with death? And the answer is, nothing. We have no answer. The women had no answer for the stone that was in front of the tomb. Paul had no answer for, oh, this is how I will deliver myself from death. And once again, in this, I'm I'm really going to try and get through this. And please, if you're here, and you're, I want to pause quickly. If you're here, if you're joining us online, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard it before, would you pinch yourself and sit up and listen to this? I I mean, I, I can't stress how deeply this matters to you and how much you need to hear this. If you're joining us online and you're not physically here, I can't see you pinch yourself, but I'm going to trust that you're going to pinch yourself because you you need to listen to this because we're faced with this problem of death. I say I'm faced with, who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't roll that stone away from the tomb. Death seems to have won, but then we see what God does. Then we see what God does that we cannot do. And they get to the garden. The women get to the garden. And I want to turn to Luke's account. Luke's account. They found the stone. This is verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So God has already dealt with the initial obstacle in their mind that they couldn't bring. How, How are we going to figure this out? We can't. They get there and God has already removed the stone. And so then they go into the tomb expecting to find Jesus. Still, their mind is still wrapped around this idea of death, this finality of death. So they go into the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, and I think this is one of the most profound questions in the history of humanity, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And we see God's answer to death. We see that God could only, He is the only one who could perfectly conquer death. And in the resurrection of Christ, if the story stops with the crucifixion, then our hope is for nothing. Paul says this in one of his letters. He says, if Christ has not been resurrected, then what we preach is in vain and your faith is in vain. And these women are showing up to the garden expecting Jesus to be in the tomb, but we see that God has conquered death. That obstacle that we can do nothing about in our own lives. When I die, I don't have an option to bring myself back. God has this. He has this conquered victory over death and the women get to witness it for the first time that death has lost its sting. That the grave has no power. And this is something that in Christ, in the person, in the sacrifice of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ, God offers this to us. And this is mind-blowing. This is why I said you need to listen to this. You need to pay attention to this. Because this is the only thing in your life that can conquer death, is what Jesus did on the cross and by raising from the grave. Romans 6.4, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I am incapable of giving myself newness of life. You are incapable of giving yourself newness of life. Your spouse, your parent, whoever in your family, you hold up as the most influential person in your life. They are incapable of giving you newness of life. But God, through Jesus, gives us newness of life. The resurrection is a reality. Ephesians 2, 4-5, through 5, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace and grace alone you have been saved, and through faith in Christ alone. You can't earn this. You can't work your way. You don't get to get to the end of your life and say, here are all the good things I've done. Have I earned my own grace? Have I redeemed myself from death? That's not how this works. God resurrected us to newness of life in Christ and it's that newness of life that is such a beautiful promise because it's not the life of sin and death it's no longer slave to the law like we used to be see when we're raised to newness of life with Christ when we profess faith in Christ that Jesus is Lord and Savior he died for our sins he is the only way to heaven when we believe this, when we receive this forgiveness and we're raised in newness of life, this is not resurrected from the grave to how things used to be. This past weekend I painted a staircase in our house. If you were to go in today and sand away at that paint, I might not talk to you because that was a lot of work and I don't like painting. But if you were to chip away at that work I did, you would get to the old paint underneath it. And if you were to chip away at that, you'd get to the paint of the previous homeowners underneath it. It's not a new staircase. It's the same old staircase, and I just just put a coat of paint on it. That's not what this is talking about. When we are raised to newness of life with Christ, it's not, okay, well, now I'm alive in Christ so that I can go about the life the way I used to. No, it's a new life. And again, this is something that Scripture talks about, and it is such a joy and a beauty to behold this truth. Romans 8, 1 through 2. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You were slaves to death, you were under the law of sin and death. That's gone. Jesus has set you free. Those who believe in Jesus have been set free from this. And to the question that the angels asked the woman at the tomb, why do you seek the living among the dead? What in this world is going to set you free from those chains? If I worked my whole life and I become a hundred billionaire, right? I have a hundred billion dollars to my name. Guess what? Someone out there, there's someone with a hundred and one billion to their name. And I work until I'm the most powerful CEO of my company. And guess what? Out there, there's a company with better stock than me. And so I promise that if I could just find the one perfect person in my life, then things will be okay. And then life will be different. And then I'll be free from this burden of death if I can find that one right person. Except guess what? They're not perfect. And they're never going to be perfect. Whatever we're looking for, when we're looking for life in the things of this world, we are searching for the living among the dead. We're going to a dry well expecting to fill our cup. But when we come to Jesus, when we come to the cross in the empty tomb, when we come before the Lord, we find newness of life that has conquered the grave. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, you're not who you used to be. You're not a slave to the grave. You've been set free to walk in newness of life. You are a new creation in Christ. I know I push this church hard, but it's because we're a new creation in Christ. It's because we are not victims. It's because we are not losers. We are not conquered. We are not defeated. We are not burdened. We are new in life with Christ. And if you're here and you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're joining us online and you don't know what I'm talking about, we want to have this conversation with you. Because as James talked about in the execution of Jesus, and I love that detail. I'd I'd never considered that. I love that detail. That in the two methods of execution that we saw married in the death of Christ, we saw that He died for all. And in the language of the placard, we saw that He died for all. And so if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're wondering, what is this newness of life? I feel like I've been searching for the living among the dead. My job isn't satisfying me the way I thought. I thought if I could just get that one more promotion, then life would be good, and it's not. If I could just find that right person, life would be good, and it's not. If I could just get this one more, you know, I've got three speedboats, if I could get one more speedboat, then life would be good, and it's not. Salvation is available to you. I mean, please, really, if you're here this morning, if you listen to nothing else, if you're joining us online, listen to this, that salvation is offered to you personally, individually. It's very straightforward. Acts 3.19 says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Part of this is repentance, is acknowledging who I am, apart from Christ, apart from the newness of life offered in Christ. I am dead in my sin. I am not perfect. If you're doubting, you hear that voice, repent and turn back from your sins. I haven't sinned that badly. Would you say you're perfect? I mean, really answer honestly. Are you a perfect person? If the answer is no, congratulations, you're exactly like me and like everyone else who has a relationship with Jesus and you are in need of repentance. So Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. In Acts 10.43 says, All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sin through His names. This is a promise. This is a guarantee. This is what we see in the cross and in the empty tomb. We see God doing for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves. And if you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, remember that. Remember that you had nothing to do with earning your salvation. You had nothing to do with conquering the grave. So then why would we ever think that we can live this life apart from God? If it took God to save us, then it's got to take God to live for him. So remember that and be encouraged to walk in newness of life with Jesus. And if you're not here and you just listened to that, we really want to invite you to have a conversation with us. In this last song, in a few minutes, we're going to do a final song. And during that song, our elders are going to be stationed at the back of the sanctuary. If you're up in the balcony, there's a stair in the corner. You can come down. Or if you're here, the elders will be spread across the back. And if you're here this morning... And you want to talk to someone about this newness of life. You want, to, okay, this receiving salvation, I want to know more. I want to walk through this. Or I have questions. Please, during that last song, would you just go to the back? They're nice guys. I, they really are. I like them. They're very easy to talk to, and they'd love to talk to you about this. If you're online and you have questions, you want to talk more about this, please send us a message. I promise I will follow up with you today. But we want you to know what's available. We want you to know what God has done for us in the cross and in the tomb.